the book of Isaiah. Tonight we are in chapter 45, Comfort for God's People, Isaiah 45. Turn out tonight. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Uh, it's always an encouragement to see how many people come back faithfully uh, to be a part of worship and to hear the Word of God. Tonight we look at uh, comfort from God's sovereignty over the unregenerate. We have the introduction, God does all that there is to be done in the universe. Isaiah 45.5, God says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Verse 6, the men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. And then here's the practical application of that truth, verse 7. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. So God brings to pass all that we experience in our life individually, corporately as a church, and universally as we think of a, a nation and a world. God does everything. Everything that's construed as good, and everything that's construed as being calamitous, problematic, troublesome. God is sovereign over all these things. All other religions are false. Marduk, the god of the Babylonians. Baal, the god of the Philistines. Allah, the god of the uh, Ishlamites. And Buddha are all false gods. Our god is not a territorial god. There were beliefs in territorial gods, and that is gods of nations. And they ruled over certain nations. They ruled over certain locales. And uh, there were gods that were seen as being over certain elements, like the god of fire, and the god of fertility, uh, the god of wind and, and storm. Well, God rules over all these things, whether it be wind, whether it be fire, whether it be United States, Russia, no matter what part of the, the world, our God is truly sovereign. And that's what we mean by the term sovereign, that God is king. He reigns over all things. So the theme for tonight is God demonstrates that he is like a God like no other in predicting, raising up, and accomplishing his purposes through Cyrus, the king of the Persians. Isaiah chapter 45 is this remarkable prophecy in which God speaks of Cyrus by name, predicting that Cyrus is going to become king of the Persians and that he is going to make a, an edict for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. This prediction, this prophecy comes... 200 years before Cyrus is even born. And yet God mentions him by name as an illustration of how he is able to rule over all things. So the key verses are verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord, there is no other. Beside me there is no God. I will gird you, 
though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun. (coughs) (coughs) There is no one besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Cyrus was king of the Persians and conqueror of Sardis and Babylon. He is one of the most notable pagans of history. He rose to a place of great prominence as a conqueror whose empire stretched from what is now India to Asia. Cyrus's military endeavors resulted in his rule over the largest empire that the world had yet seen. He conquered Babylon in 538 B.C. And Cyrus serves as a supreme example of God's rule over all his creation. Cyrus is most notable for his decree to have Jerusalem rebuilt when Cyrus conquered Babylon. What is even more remarkable than the decree is the explicit prediction of it by the prophet Isaiah some 200 years before the event. So number one, God demonstrates that he is a God like no other in predicting the rise of Cyrus. God is unique as the creator. There is no God like him. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the one who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord, I am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out all the earth alone. Of all of the doctrines that is taught in the scripture, there are some that are the most fundamental, meaning foundational. They are the building blocks of our understanding of who God is. And the most fundamental building block of all the word of God is the revelation that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. In fact, it's the words that begin the very Bible itself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the most notable act of God. That's the most important thing to understand about God. If you understand that, you understand a great deal. He made everything. And so John says, without him there was nothing made that was made. That's why he rules over all things. Because he made all things. And so Isaiah constantly comes back to that, as does the psalmist, as does all of the word of God. Secondly, God is unique, and that he alone speaks with authority concerning the future. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. There is no God besides me. And who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order. From the time that I established the ancient nation, let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any other God besides me, or is there any other rock? I know of none. And so, in the uniqueness of God, one of those characteristics that is unique to our God is that he knows the future. He's able to predict the future, and he's able to predict it with 100% accuracy because he controls the future. He can bring it to pass. He has a plan. He knows what he's going to do from the beginning to the end. And so the scripture refers to him, thank you, Clay, as uh, the Alpha and the Omega, which, of course, uh, are the uh, beginning letters of the Greek alphabet. Uh, Alpha being the first, Omega being the last. He is the beginning and the end. He knows the beginning and the end. He controls the beginning and the end. So, number one, 
God causes the prophets of other gods to fail. Isaiah 44:25, Causing the omens of boasters to fail. Making fools out of diviners. Causing wise men to draw back. It's not, unu- un- it's not unusual for there to be people who proclaim to have prophetic abilities. Uh, there, it's not unusual for religious uh, people to claim to have the ability to foretell the future. But then you get into how accurate are they and how precise are they. And we know that no one is 100% accurate and uh, they are pretty indirect, pretty uh, obtuse in the prophecies they give, not like our God. However, God establishes the word of his prophets, verse 26, confirming the word of his servant and performing the purpose of his messengers. Ezra 1.1 Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of God by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, saying... And so Ezra refers to uh, the uh, writings of Jeremiah. Tonight we're in Isaiah. But the book of Jeremiah also speaks of Cyrus. And... Uh, Ezra says these things are being done to demonstrate that our God is able to speak the truth. Third, God establishes uniqueness by declaring a remarkable prophecy. Confirming the word of his servant and performing the purpose of his messengers, it is I who says of Jerusalem, shall she be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah they shall be built, and I will raise up her ruins again. This is a prophecy that occurs 200 years before the event. This is a prophecy that speaks of Jerusalem and the surrounding cities being inhabited even when they are destroyed. God alludes to the conquering of the city of Babylon. It is I who says to the depth of the sea, be dried up, and I will make your rivers dry. According to the ancient historian Herodotus, Cyrus captured Babylon by diverting the waters of the Euphrates into an artificial lake and marching his troops into the city by the means of a dry riverbed. It's one of the most remarkable military campaigns of all time. Not just in the ancient world, but of all time. The way in which Babylon fell. Uh, The uh, gates of the city went down into the uh, Euphrates River and that was diverted and actually marched under the gates in a dry riverbed. Uh, The Word of God prophesied that this would be the means by which uh, Babylon would, would fall. D, God reveals the one who will do this. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem she will be built, and of the temple your foundation will be laid. For the sake of Jacob my servant and Israel my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. This is such remarkable prophecy that many scholars hold to a multiple authorship of Isaiah. Uh, it is common in more liberal circles to speak of a first Isaiah and a second Isaiah and a third Isaiah. And one of the reasons for dividing the book of Isaiah into three parts by three different authorships is because of the astounding uh, prophecies that are in the book of Isaiah. Of course, we're going to get to Isaiah 53, and you have the prophecy of Christ's death, uh, very remarkable in and of itself, 
But in chapter 45, here we're, we're speaking about Cyrus. And so the liberals want to take the book of Isaiah and post-date it so that it's actually written after the fact as opposed to prophecy, that uh, it is under the guise of prophecy, but is really written after the events took place, uh, for it's the only way which they would have to explain uh, the preciseness with which the uh, Word of God uh, declares these things. It's one of the great finds that God in His sovereignty has allowed uh, that uh, in the Qumran uh, community, in uh, the ancient texts, that we have found a copy of the book of Isaiah in its present form, in its, its exactness and its completeness, and uh, demonstrates the fact that indeed it was prophecy and not written by three different individuals. Two, God demonstrates that he is God like no other in, in not only predicting, but raising up uh, Cyrus. It is God who raises and establishes Cyrus. Verse 28, it is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. It is God's bidding that Cyrus performs. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He will perform all my desire. So God identifies not only the existence of Cyrus, but says that this individual is going to be his instrument to accomplish his purpose. It is because of God that Cyrus orders the decree to have Jerusalem and the temple rebuilt. Isaiah 44, 28. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He will... (coughs) He will be built, and the temple, your foundation will be laid. The proclamation is recorded in the book of Ezra, Ezra 1.1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord of the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred throughout all his kingdom and put it into writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Those are Cyrus's words. Cyrus says, God has appointed me to build Jerusalem. That's the kind of power that God has over Cyrus that God can put his words in Cyrus's mouth. Notice, Cyrus is referred to as the Lord's anointed. Verse 1, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. This is a rich word which is translated as Messiah. The word Messiah means the anointed one. We think of Jesus most often as we think about the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the one upon whom the Holy Spirit comes, and he is the one who acts uh, in accordance with the plan and will of God the Father. But here in the Old Testament, Cyrus is referred to as the anointed one, the one upon whom the Holy Spirit comes, the one who accomplishes God's purpose and will. See, God is directing the affairs of Cyrus. Thus the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand. And so here's the imagery of God leading Cyrus along, as though he was holding him by the hand. And uh, 
walking him through the steps that he should do. It is God who established Cyrus as a great military leader. To subdue nations before him. To loose the loins of kings. To open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. It is God who empowers Cyrus. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shadow the doors of bronze and cut through iron bars. According to the Babylonian records, Cyrus's army entered Babylon without a battle on October 12, 539 B.C. Uh, just totally unaware, he marched into the city of Babylon at night without any resistance whatsoever. Just totally took the city by surprise. You say, how could that happen? Well, it's God's intervention. God is taking credit for this. God is saying, I have led him all the step of the way. This is my doing. Long before it ever came to pass. F. God will do all this even though Cyrus will have not known God. Verse 4, For the sake of Jacob my servant, and Israel my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. Verse 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Now here is the most remarkable statement in this whole section, from my point of view. And that is that this is an unregenerate man. Cyrus was worshiper of Marduk, not the living and true God of Israel. Verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places, in order that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Ezra 1, 2. Thus Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, Cyrus did not become a true worshiper of God. He never, ever acknowledged God as his God. He continued to worship Marduk. But Cyrus was intrigued and pleased that his name was recorded in the Jewish sacred writings. And he gladly proclaimed the fact that his rule and actions were disclosed by God. For him, that was really neat. Man, this is great stuff. The Jews were talking about me 200 years before I was even born. He ate that up. He liked that. And so, he was glad to publish and proclaim that the God of Israel had raised him up to do this great work. Even though he did not personally place his faith and trust in God. Again, it's a demonstration of the sovereignty of God. How he rules over all peoples. Not just regenerate people. But unregenerate people as well. You see, for God to really rule over all this earth, he means he must rule over everyone. And he does. He does. There is nothing that any human being alive can do other than what God permits, other than what God allows, and even other than what God enables, for he's the giver and sustainer of life. 
it's a great comfort to know that, that God is sovereign in the affairs of this world. Governments, foreign governments, non-Christian governments, he rules over them all. That's the book of Daniel. He teaches Daniel, I set up kings, I remove kings. And he's talking not about kings of Israel. He's talking about foreign kings. He's talking about Darius. He's talking about the kings that conquer Israel. And God says, I raise them up. And I can remove them. God is the God over all the face of this earth. And then thirdly, God demonstrates that he is a God like no other in predicting, raising up, and also accomplishing his purposes through Cyrus, the king of the Persians. The reason that God does all this, God will raise up Cyrus in order to bless his people for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I've chosen. He raises up Cyrus so that Jerusalem will be rebuilt and the temple will be rebuilt. He does this as a means of blessing the children of Israel. He doesn't do it just to make Cyrus look good. Cyrus is a a pawn, if you will. Uh, He is an instrument in the hand of God to be a blessing to his people. God will raise up Cyrus in order to reveal himself to all mankind. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. A poetic way of saying as far as the east is from the west, wherever the sun rises and the sun sets, over the entirety of this creation, so that everyone will know I am God. And so in God's sovereignty, here is the king of Persia, through edict, proclaiming the God of Israel had raised him up to do these things. Because God wants a testimony. Because God wants it said by a foreign people who do not worship him that he is the living and true God. And Cyrus does that. Because he's sovereign. See, God will raise up Cyrus and extend his kingdom to illustrate that God alone is God. Three times in two verses, God asserts that he alone is God. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that you may know from the rising to the setting of the sun, there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. Uh, No one is staying his hand. No one is thwarting his purpose. No other God is intervening. God doesn't have an equal. God doesn't have a competitor. It's God and God alone. D, God is responsible for both the pleasant and unpleasant circumstances of life. He rules over, over all. The one forming light and darkness, causing well-being, creating calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. If you read the King James, it reads as follows. The one forming light and creating darkness causing well-being and creating evil. That is such a a thought that most modern translations want to get away from the idea that God creates evil. It's evil in the sense of calamity. It's evil in the sense of hardship. Two, God's providence is universal. It takes all events, all his creatures, and all their actions. Westminster Catechism. 
Reformers spoke of a sorrowful or frowning providence as well as a kindly providence. So that it is within the providence of God that the world trade towers were destroyed. God did that. God did that. And the scriptures do not in any sense run from that or hide from that. In our political correct uh, society, we want to guard God and say, well, well, God didn't really do that. That was sinful, evil men, and that's not what God really wanted to happen. If God didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't have happened. It's hard to explain why all things happen. But the one thing we can say is ultimately, it's at the will of God. Can't pin me down. Can't answer. I don't know. You get into some really, really uh, strange conversations if you try to explain why. You know, why did God allow Katrina? Uh, why, why did God allow uh, New Orleans to flood? I don't know. And we shouldn't speak for God. We shouldn't say that we know. We shouldn't say it's because of this sin or it's because of that. If God reveals it, that's fine. If God doesn't reveal it, then it's hidden to us. It's secret. I don't know why he does what he does. But I know this. He does it. And there's comfort in knowing that he does it. That's to be our comfort tonight. Our God rules over all things. Everything that takes place. Calamity as well as hardship. And you see, he's addressing the very fact that Israel is going to be destroyed. And before it's even destroyed, he's already talking about it's being rebuilt. And he's talking about who's going to do it. And he's talking about why he's going to do it. And that is our comfort. At the outbreak of World War II, in view of the danger to which the Netherlands was subjected, the Dutch Prime Minister spoke these words to his nation and to his colonies. Listen to these words. World War II. It's hard to imagine a statesman standing up and declaring this. But this is what the Prime Minister of the Netherlands said during World War II. And I quote, What the future will bring us remains in the hands of God. It is possible that hardships await us which we cannot foresee at this moment. But even then, this must never bring us to a mood of despair. If we do our duty, we can await the result calmly and leave it to him who knows what we need and who never made a mistake yet. However high the waves may go, we know that our Father holds the wheel and we will keep a spirit of calmness and cheerfulness. We will end with a song on our lips and more so in our hearts. Order us... In thy ways. End quote. After that Christian statesman spoke those words, Holland had its deluge of violence, terror, blood, destruction, and death. But in that terrible disaster, there were hundreds of thousands in Holland who took refuge in the divine appointment of God and still prayed, Order us in thy ways. A unique perspective on World War II. God's providence operates not only in the striking and spectacular events of life, but in the general flow of events. General flow of events. There was a servant that was coming before one of the presidents of the United States. 
And uh, he was traveling to Rocky Hill. And as he was traveling on the road, he met with a, a band of robbers that assailed him and took all that he had, but wonderfully, his life was preserved. And so he was coming in and he was giving praise and thanks to a God of providence. For he said, though I was assailed, my life was not taken. And he wanted the president to rejoice in the God of providence who spared him. The president looked at him and said, let me tell you of a greater providence. I've ridden that road many times and have never been assailed. Oftentimes we think of God preserving us and keeping us when we're driving down the road and we have a near accident. And a car swerves into our lane and our heart palpitates and wonderfully, miraculously we're spared. And we may stop and we say, thank, thank you, God. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for protecting me. But yet, how many times no car swerves into our lane. How often it is that nothing untoward comes. And yet we don't meet with the same sense of ecstasy over the graciousness and goodness and provision of God. Our God rules over all things. The great and mighty things, the small and mundane. The things for which we give great joy and the things which bring us great sorrow. Our comfort tonight is... There is no other God. He is the living and true God. May we seek to know him. May we trust in him. And may we give him the glory and praise by acknowledging that everything that happens in this world is under his sovereign control. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are the mighty one. Uh, You are the ruler of heaven and earth. You made all things. You are God alone. There is no other beside you. Lord, uh, help us to rest in that fact tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.